Marsha Ambrosis, she put her sophomore album out, <laughs> what, a month ago? What? You saw, you saw you about to announce a football game or something. <laughs> Marsha Ambrosis. Marsha Ambrosis. <laughs> Number three. Number three. <laughs> Starting at left tackle. <laughs> Dude, wait, wait. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur. The music snorts. This is episode 29 of the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined, as always, by Snoop, Isaac, and Jahan. You call me Snoop. Snoop. <laughs> I did, I've been watching The Wire. I've been, like, speed. I've been catching up on The Wire. And you are, you are a little Y'all hyped. Y'all can let what's, me back in the house now. What's in the coffee? I mean, raw sugar and, and organic cream. Mm. Organic half and half. It's a rock. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are a little yeah, hyped. but... I, I got I got Chris and Felicia all up in my head and you know all kind of stuff. I think I'm the only one left that has not seen all the all the seasons of The Wire, and I'm almost done with Speaking four. Of so Snoop, I'll be did good. you see her in Marsha's video? No. Yeah. Who? She's in one of Marsha's videos. Really? Who's yeah. in there? Snoop. No, she is. Yeah, she is. She's in the video with uh where where um Omar, what's Michael K. Williams, plays her boyfriend. Wow. I did not know wow. that. Yeah. If we're going into Marsha Sutter, it's interesting you mentioned Snoop, but yeah, she plays she plays herself. That's that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I gotta see that video. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Marsha. Maybe it's Marsha. Marsha Ambrosis's gosh, that's hard to say. Marsha Ambrosis's sophomore album, Friends and Lovers, has recently been released. It seems to have helped her solidify a position as a mainstream diva. Uh, but we're gonna ask at what cost? It seems that she's trying to have it both ways, in my view. Be it that she is the sultry, club-hopping, one-night-stand woman. Yes. And the opposite That's pretty of, evident. I like that, though. I want a relationship. I'm trying to find someone to start a family with and start a, build a future with, but I can't. But you got to put it down, right? You got to put it down. You got one night. You got one, one night. night. Right? <laughs> she's been a she's been a very successful songwriter. Um, she's best known for for being one half of Floetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote Butterflies, co-wrote Butterflies for Michael. Mm-hmm. Good voice, unique Great voice. voice. Uh, yeah, from London. Yeah. No, she's not from London. Where's she from? She's from, from London. She's from Liverpool. Oh, I th- I just I thought everybody well, she's from England. UK, from she the, the island from London. It's the only city that matters. She's, she's from Liverpool. There are, there are other there are different there are different cities. It's a it's a country. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the American education system. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, somebody help me though. Why we even need to talk about Marsha? The way I look at it is, she dropped with Flow Tree, and she's a great great vocalist. And we all thought that that's who she was. And maybe a part of her still is that. She was sort of at this fork in the road. If she goes left, she could be where I think I and a lot of people assumed she would go, which is Jill Scott, Ledacy, maybe Erica sort of territory. Or if she went right, she would go Mary Blige, Keisha Cole, uh, Kerry Hilson, Fantasia, like that. Certainly subject matter 
and lyrical content, she seems to have gone right towards the more mainstream Mary Keisha Cole kind of direction. But her voice is just so tender and elegant and delicate. It's it's still kind of within what we would assume is this kind of less dynamic, more sort of toned down, alternative soul kind of vibe. So firstly, I was very surprised at her not sticking with the formula that she'd created for Flowetry. Like if Maxwell turned into Trey songs? It's not just her voice. If you listen like with Friends and Lovers, it goes from those types of songs where they just sound very Trey songish, and then it jumps into something like You and I, which I think is the standout track on that album. Yeah, I like You and I. Ramsey Lewis makes that track, man. That's that's a Ramsey Lewis sample, Joaquin from 1975. Yeah, where suddenly, suddenly she's back into this, she's back in the territory. And I, I don't even want to say back because I think that I don't want to see her go back to floetry. I think that, right. you know, she should move I forward. I think she's making a conscious effort not to do that, though. Right, right. You and I represents where she could go. Because to me, it's a, it's a perfect blend of where she was. And it's also a, a very, not popish song. It's very soulful. But at the same time, it's, I wouldn't expect that from Floetry, but I expect it from Marsha Ambrosius moving forward. I think if I was her, you know, producers or uh, label exec, I would look at that song and say, look, this is where you need to be at. You know what I'm saying? We need to build on this right here. Um, so I agree with Jay as far as her, her voice keeps her out of that Trey songish, you know, territory. But at the same time, if you listen to her album, she kind of throws in a song every once in a while that reminds you, oh, she's not, you know, full on pop mainstream. Yeah, I mean, she throws in a song like, you know, 69, or she throws in a song or interlude like, you know, Kiss and Fuck, mm-hmm. you know, and that lets you know the rawness of it. But I think to me, it's funny to hear you all say that, but I like that because it opens her up as an artist. She tells you where she's at, and it goes back to what you said in the, in the beginning, Arthur, about your question. Where is she? She lets you know that, hey, I'm either trying to find love or I'm cool with a one-night stand. You know, she, she's... Uh, I, don't... I, th- I, th- I think she's versatile in getting, giving her giving her herself to her art in that way and she's letting you know that she's not just this one individual um and and the way you all feel about you and i i feel the same way about run i think run is a great song mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm, that kind of mm-hmm. defines where she needs to go and gives you what she could do vocally and it has enough of a groove to it that it can be mainstream but it's it's almost like a new mainstream soul so if you if you take you and i you take run which i th- feel i think we have something there that she needs to expound on but the, but the hard part is as a songwriter, is she going to be able to stay true to just those two songs? Because there's there there's still things inside of her, whether it's it's her freaky side, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a soft side or you know whatever. There's still stuff inside of her that I don't know as a songwriter are going to allow her to stay in that lane, to stay in that you and I run lane. Apart from anything else, to to put the sort of songwriter title on her 
you can't do that at this stage because her, like every other modern R&B mm-hmm. uh, vocalist, if you look at the credits to her album, the songs are all written by like five to ten people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so maybe some of that's the sampling, but it's, yeah, a lot of that I, is I wonder sampling. how much of herself individually is, is in each of those songs from a lyrical content, directional perspective. I think it's a lot because she, she's not a songwriter that just sits she's back. She's the lyricist. Yeah, she's a lyricist. So yeah. I think she's not a songwriter that sits back. You know, I think you, you mentioned diva mode. I don't know if I would put her in the diva conversation where, quote unquote, if you're trying to de- define divas, they sit back and people mm-hmm. work for them and they just take whatever. I don't look at her like, I think she's more engaged mm-hmm. and the people that write songs for her, you know, it's, it's more of a collaboration to her just standing back and waiting for people to just feed her song. So I think there's always going to be a part of her soul and who she is that's going to come through the song writing the songs that she does. But if, you, if you're going to continue to write, like, I mean, 69, uh, Kissing, all those interludes where old boy is talking mm-hmm. in the middle of the song are just god awful to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, mm-hmm. this, is, mm-hmm. this is boring and it's terrible. They're painful think, almost to listen to. Yeah. It's like, they, they feel very it's almost painful to listen to. Yeah. So, and, I, and, and to me, if you are going to consider, because first of all, you know, message to all R&B singers in the world, all adults have sex. You're not saying anything extraordinary by mm-hmm. telling us that you're having sex. It's not, <laughs> it's not magical. It's not news to anybody. Point. It doesn't make Great you special. Point. You know, we all have sex. So if you are going to talk about sex, like so many R&B, you know, singers and poets and writers have been doing since the beginning of time. The challenge is you have to think of a unique way to say it. Exactly. So by calling the song 69 and oohing and eyeing your way through the whole song, first of all, she could do that in her sleep. She could, she could actually give a master course teaching at a university on how to construct a soul R&B slow jam. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? She's great at slow jams. Mm -hmm. I, I I'm right. always going to love right, her because right, right. she's one of the few artists out there today that can, you know, like I said, make a slow jam in her sleep, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll be dope. Mm-hmm. But at this point, there's what separates this album from, uh, what was it, Late Nights and uh, Early Mornings? Late Nights, right. Early Mornings, which I liked. I thought that was I, a really yeah, nice and album. The remix, I thought, mm-hmm. I really liked the remix album was great. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, what separates this album from that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is a continuation. You're not saying anything new. So yeah, to this me, Marsha's Marcia is kind of like a dilemma to me you know i think we call this segment marcia's choice but marcia's dilemma to me is she her and a old girl uh uh, natalie came over here from the uk they went to philadelphia if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. you know if Mm -hmm. they have a deep deep love for soul music philadelphia Mm -hmm. is the second Mm -hmm. best place in the in the country to go for soul music outside of the midwest to me if you're not gonna come to the midwest you go to philly you know what i'm saying if you have a deep love for soul music Marsha sounds like she Memphis sits may around, get mad at you right now. Okay, I'll, I'll throw Memphis in there too. Midwest still number one. Yeah, I'll no, throw Memphis in there too. Um, Marsha sounds to me like she sits around and listens to, you know, eighties R and B all day. You know, Ready for the World, mm-hmm. Prince, uh, Guy. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like she mm-hmm. just that's her vibe. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I think that she chose not to go the more Baduish, you know, direction. Because that's not really who she is. I agree. You know, I think old girl Natalie was more into, into that, and they made a good mix that way. She made a Jodeci album. There you go. Just now. Because mm-hmm. side one is friends, side two is lovers. That's how I got out of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. She made a Jodeci album, and I and I'm talking even like it's even got like '90s esque synth solos mm-hmm. in parts mm-hmm. of it. I mean, mm-hmm. the production is very modern, but it's very very. It is exactly the same kind of language they would have. The quality of the music is the same high degree quality of music. Uh, you know, it's got the same amount of bangers, loads of beautiful slow jams on there. She she made a Jodeci album on 
Flowetry's debut, they have a beautiful, beautiful song called Say Yes. Mm-hmm. And in that song, there's a crescendo where, where Marsha basically riffs off the words right there mm-hmm. for about 30 seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all she says is right there, right there, right there. It's so, just those two words, those two innocent words, she sings them in such an erotic manner. Scoop, I was driving Nia and Zing to, um, to their ballet class and I had that on in the radio. I couldn't get to the volume knob fast enough to turn it off <laughs> when she got there. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like she's climaxing you have to turn it down it's, it's like donna summer love to love us and, right. she, and she's she is so good at that you know what i'm saying if even amazing the, even the that. songs i really don't like on friends and lovers they're not bad songs you know there's really mm. nothing on here except i don't like that streets of london song that sounds really contrived but most of mm-hmm. these songs are are decent songs it's like she really she can't make a bad bad song you know but mm. you and i is <laughs> so much better than anything else on this album that i'm like you drop that. You yeah. need to. You need to scrap the rest of this and go back and look at what you're doing. Cupid shot me I mean, straight through your heart. I think yeah. it's great. Love is great. The, the Charlie Wilson track is good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, but yeah. it's you know she knows how to write a song. She knows how to bring that emotion. But at some point, the direction that she's chosen, I think she's gonna have to go all the way there and leave all this other kitty stuff behind. But see, I don't know what direction she's choosing. I mean, she's doing all of this. If 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 her audience grows and it seems like she's trying to 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 grow this audience, she's doing it at the cost of monotony. That's what I, th- I thought this album was boring. The entire album, she digs into these core themes. I love you, I hate you, don't leave me, don't see me. Every song that's on this album can fit in one of those four boxes. There's no balance to it. Yeah, it does. Well, At times, it does feel like a bunch yeah, of tracks. It's almost like you know what? Yeah. She, to me, she's mus- she's trying to muscle out Jasmine Sullivan with well, Jasmine Sullivan's she's absence. Already done that. <laughs> well, like, I think she's, she's not on. That, she's not yeah. on her level. Jasmine ain't on her level. Well, uh, no, she's not. But but, she's but not. see, I think Marsha's come down to Jasmine's level with this album. I mean, so what she's str- she's look, she, stronger. She's, wait, 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 wait. So, so she's in like the Crisette Michelle. Leela James. I'm saying she's trying. Melanie Falona. I'm saying she's trying to like Foursquare. She's trying to cover all bases at the same time to see whatever where, wherever her greatest reception is coming from. That's the direction that she's going to go in. Okay. Though you talked about the Charlie Wilson. You talked about the Charlie Wilson song. Great. That's fine. She's also got this song called Stronger with Dr. Dre. Now Exa- that's exactly what is the upside of having Dr. Dre on your song. That was in 2014. That was, that was, about the four minute mark or the three minute mark. That song gets dope. After you go past Dre, when she starts but doing you her own, but Dre shouldn't be on. Have minutes. you heard the song without Dre on it? I've heard it without Dre on no, it. it. No, is it, it works. Oh, where Dre is horrible. But okay, you make my point. I mean, yeah. what's the advantage? What's the upside of having Dr. Dre? I don't, you know, marketing. And if you, for, but for it's an not the crowd but, but, to but, buy yeah, this album. But that's I don't know if that's her or if that's a record company situation. Now, let's be honest. You know, if you look at the fact that Neo's on there, if you look at the fact that, you know, you got a Charlie Wilson on there, you look at the fact that the Dre's on there, you look at the collabs you have on there, this is kind of mainstreamers. This isn't like what she did with Daly back in the day, you know, where nobody here in America really knows who Daly is and he's still considered an underground artist here. 
Well, you know Kendrick wrote that Dre verse, right? Didn't know that. But apart from anything else, I can't believe you guys. I mean, that song is horrific. That's a crime against music, man. I mean, yeah, I hate it. That's like to yeah. take Sade stronger than Pride. Yeah, that's that. And, and that was, to cover I knew that, that yeah. was going to hurt. Some J. Root yeah. Primo. Yeah. Beat. I mean, it's the worst beat they could have chosen. Yeah. For it. And then put Dr. Dre on it. Yeah. And then put and then put an awful, awful Quentin Tarantino quote. Like, <laughs> it's not profane enough. It's not yeah. aggressive enough. We yeah. haven't bastardized this song enough. We haven't raped it enough. Let's let's just totally, totally double homicide this song. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't stop there though. I mean, uh, uh, loving you, she does a crappy interpolation from Minnie Ripperton's song yeah. and la 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 la. Yep. she does a crappy interpolation of of, of Michael's uh, okay. why from Human Nature on "I Want You to Stay." We don't need that. But once again, going to my point is that is this the record label trying to make her reach that certain audience? But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Which one? Which audience is she after? Well, the, That's the question. That's the whole question. They're trying to, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm speculating that they're trying to find her a place where she can be herself, but also catch into that mainstream audience where she does have the urban crossover appeal of a Mary J, you know, of a Lettucey, of a Jill, you know, because that's the lane that they're thinking she needs to be in. You know, once again, I go back to the collaborations, you know, and, and I also, and this goes back to what I was saying about the video with Michael K. Williams in there. You know, you see them trying to force an artist to change. When she collaborated with, like, once again, like Daily, somebody from the UK, somebody that understood somebody's underground here, that's a collaboration that fits. That's not a collaboration trying to reach 100,000, 200,000. That's not trying to go gold. Charlie Wilson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Neo, having Dre on a song, that's a record mm-hmm. label trying to push her to that next level. Mm-hmm. That's not, mm-hmm. and let's go back to the video. I cannot, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of the video, um, name of the song, where she has Michael K. Williams, who is actually Omar from The Wire, as mm-hmm. her love interest in the video. Now, if you look at the video for Stronger Than Pride, the one we just got through talking about, it's some European straight hair, you know, white guy or European guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Once again, that's a record company move trying to get somebody to push them to a more mainstream audience. So it may be her compromise because of what she's dealing with. I think of her as like an independent artist that has the chops. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. has the voice to actually be a star mm-hmm. in her own lane. But mm, when you're right. trying to fight for notoriety and you're fighting with a record label, you know, it's sometimes you have to compromise. Sometimes you lose that fight. But the problem is, is that the prop you all's criticism of her does not go back to the record company and their decisions they make. It goes back on her and her career. To answer your question, what may happen is that she the sales of this may decide what's right and what's wrong because the first mm-hmm. two weeks of friends and lovers only sold 24,000 copies. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. That's the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. All right. The first week of the last album, late nights, late, late nights, right. It sold 96,000. That's just one week. It wound up selling 300,000 altogether. So you're looking at a sales drop. Okay. So a lot of times, that may dictate what direction she goes. Is this a case? Let's let's to Scoop's point. Let's take the focus off her for just a second. Is this a case where artists may not have as much power as we want her to have, and her record label is saying this is what we want you to do? Because as we know, that's what record labels do. If you go back to late nights and early mornings, um, between that album and the Floetry stuff, she lost a lot of weight. You know what I'm saying? She started taking off more mm-hmm, clothes, mm-hmm. Um, which is the dilemma that you know female artists find themselves in much more than male artists of how you appear. Mm-hmm. Lettucey's mm-hmm. doing that right now. Right. Uh, Chrisette Michelle took off her clothes for her last mm-hmm. album. You know, so is this a case where a, a female artist is not, we may 
risk her actually, you know, not getting to where she needs to get to simply because um, her record label doesn't know what to do with her or is, or is pushing her in too many directions to Arthur's point. It could be, but the beauty in that is that if the more this doesn't sell, the more power she has to do what she wants to do. Your, your third time up, you gain more power. Like, look, my way worked. You all's way, you know, the compromise did it. We're still trying to move units. Mm. Bottom line, everybody wants that. A really interesting cover as well for Friends and Lovers. I mean, it's, you know, she's a pretty girl and they could, they could have come up with a really creative... It looks like it costs $100 for them to get that cover. That, that's, that's terrible. But um, is it a commercial impossibility for a non-crossover R&B vocalist to conduct themselves with grace nowadays? Say that one more time. I got you. Unless unless their name is Sade. Say it again, Jay. Do we allow our own artists to conduct themselves with grace nowadays? Yeah, if you're not in that, I think that to do that... See, Sade's crossover to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To Uh, To do what you're talking about, Jay, it's almost like they force you into that neo soul earthy category. Absolutely. So I agree with what you're, I agree with your, the answer that you're given via your question. I agree with it that in order to do that, you have to be, you know, earthy and, and, and Baduish. If you stay in the R and B category, you have yeah. to do songs like 69 and kiss and F. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's, it's not her fault, I think. And you know what, even, even us, even us in discussing this and me, in making the points I made right at the beginning, we're exerting a bit of a double standard on her here. Because when we talk about Jodeci, we never really talk about them in a kind of negative context. We never say, oh, but oh my God, those lyrics were so terrible. We just say they were of the time, they're a great band or group, some great vocalist, some great production, la la la. We don't take them to task the way that we may be taking Marsha to task for some of the song titles and song lyrics that are on her album. Well, I do think it's harder for women overall. But I mean, for example, take it to 2014, instead of you know comparing a, a 1993 artist or a 1994 artist in Jodeci to a 2014 Marsha Ambrose, take a 2014 Marsha Ambrose and a 2014 Trey Songs. We go just as hard on Trey Songs. Even harder because Trey Song's, you know. But also, there's the age. Yeah. I think I expect a little bit more out of Marsha. You know, she's older and she just, yeah. to Jay's, you know, point earlier, she, I guess maybe through the flowetry thing, she presented herself as much more elegant, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Then, but I, I agree with you. I go hard on Trey because I, I mean, I just think that's a, you know, we could talk all day about reasons to go hard on Trey. But I think that with Marsha, I guess we expect. You know, a lot. And I think you're about to make a Jill Scott point. Jill Scott was thrown in the Neo Soul category early on, you right. know, from the beginning. So that. Well, you said, well, you did say that. I, I beat this drum to death on the show, but I'm going to say it again. If this is what she really wants to say, I'm all for artists saying whatever they mm-hmm. want to say. Right. If this is what she really feels and wants to say, you know, God bless her. But my point is that. Can you think of a more interesting way to say it? Because having some dude mm-hmm. on your interludes talk right. about, you know, hey, baby, blah, blah. Right. Come on now. It's like, that's, it's just, that's, it's terrible. It's, it's you know played what? out. It's, you're absolutely right. It comes down to how you say it. And I'm not saying that cursing in soul music is altogether bad. Some of my favorite songs, you know, they feature punctuative, sparse, very well-placed, very well-chosen curse words. Uh, two that come to mind, Adore. Prince, I Ain't Just For Kicks, mm-hmm. and Green Eyes, Erica Badu, were right at the end, almost at the crescendo. She just whispers in a kind of plaintive sigh, almost kind of frustrated, 
like, okay, well, I've kind of wasted this whole song now, she says. To me, it's got so much power when she says that. It's so kind of resigned, so like defeated. It, 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 ser- it serves a purpose. Right. Yeah, it serves I, it, a purpose. Yeah, I can't think of a better word for that moment. Right. right. It was, it's perfect. Yeah. But, it, but there's a beauty in doing it. And that's what we call the Richard Pryor theory. You can make words sound beautiful. You if, can make bad. If you, if you can do it, you can do it. But if you yeah. can't, it comes off wrong. But, you know, we can talk about this. I know we don't need to move on. We'll talk about this later when we talk about other artists. But there's been very few vocalist singers who can curse within a song and make it, you know, it's cool. It just, Mm -hmm. it sounds right for that moment. Mm -hmm. So many artists, especially now, you know, it's like they're cursing. It's like, it's not the same as when you rap it. I'm sorry. No, you know what I'm saying? It's a different, it's a different feel. And you just, you, you're distracting me from the song. And it sounds like you forcibly put that word in there because you think it's cool. You know, that's why there's a difference between making love and fucking. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Moving right along. And we'll move right along after that. (laughs) Okay, are you with us, Internet? Another TMS PSA. <laughs> we need to have just PSA moments. <laughs> we could put a bow tie on it. So what does she need to do? I think she needs to run from you you and I and take that as her. Because if you look at you and I, Butterflies, although admittedly, her version or flowetry version of Butterflies, you know, always pales because once Mike does your song, that's, you know, right. anything you do. But just the construction and the writing in that song and you and I and just... Even uh, uh, Cupid and uh, Spend All My Time, she mm-hmm. is talented in, in in a way that a lot of artists are not. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I agree is, with you on that. She has a certain special talent, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, as far as how she constructs mm-hmm. these very soulful uh, choruses and, and everything. I'm just like, man, if she did an album just like this stuff, and that's why I asked earlier, is it a matter of her not having enough power? Because she... Who is she really? She's selling three hundred thousand units. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Max. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. that's not gonna get you a lot of sway at your at your at a where I don't know who's who's a who's her label, RCA. But I feel that if she were to take those songs, you know, that type of songwriting and run with it, and I, I'm gonna go as far as say when she sings those type of songs, she sounds more into it than when she sings sixty nine or yeah. whatever else. Right. Like I said, that she could do in her sleep. Even so good, which I like, but it's another song where she could do in her sleep. When she's singing you and I, it's like it's a whole nother level of Marsha. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying if she would take, you know, go from there and use that as her foundation, I think she's going to uh, reach a level of success that she probably never even, you know, imagined for herself. And I think it in order and I agree with you, but I think in order to do that, I think she needs to get hold up for the next few years with one producer. You know what I'm saying? Some they need to find mm-hmm. that signature sound instead of going all over the place. You know, she needs to just really like, all right. I need to bond with somebody. I need to make that happen and them get in for two years and he or she, whoever the producer is, gets the best and most out of her. Use what you just said as a template and say, all right, here's our template. This is what we're going to work for. You and I locked in and let's make this happen. I, I agree with you, man. But in 2014, that's unrealistic. No label other than independent hip hop is going to allow an artist to work with a single producer. Yeah, artist of her sales. If it was, you know, Mariah Carey, then she could work with whoever she yeah. wants to work right. with, you know. Her voice is so unique and her her cadence and her phraseology is so, so unique that these are just minor tweaks. If she just tweaks these points, she could she could possibly even have something on a my life level mm-hmm. if she if she makes these changes. I mean, even on the hip hop guest appearances that she's done, like uh, Get You Some, the Buster Rhymes track or or actually better example is um, uh, The Games, Why You Hate The Game. Mm-hmm. I forget I'm listening to a game track when she's singing mm-hmm. you know she elevates it to such a point where 
I'm like, this is a bang track. And all I'm listening to is Marsha and it's like, it's, it, it becomes her track. Right. Well, here's my question: Is is she can one album save her? Can one? She 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 just think so. Okay. All right. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah, I, I think totally in 2014, think so. one album can yeah. save you. Okay. All right. With that, roundtable. X Files. X Files. Yes, it is, isn't it? Today's roundtable. <laughs> I don't want to believe. The question is what musical urban legend or conspiracy theory are you so desperate to believe or not believe is true? Who wants first? Let Isaac go first. <laughs> Mine's is the worst. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way real quick. <laughs> I like your thinking, Jeff. <laughs> um, mine wasn't. It's, it's definitely, you know, like you said, despite all evidence to the contrary, because we've seen documented evidence of it. Um, I wish or I, I wish this had never happened or wasn't true that in 1990, whatever, that uh, R. Kelly married and had relations ah, with Aaliyah. Yeah. Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. And I wish, the reason I wish it wasn't true is because if you look at the, the trajectory of what happened after that to, to, you know, Aaliyah's career, you know, apparently, I mean, by all appearances, didn't suffer. You know, she went, you know, started working with Timberland, uh, Missy, Misdemeanor, Elliot, um, you know, reached a, you know, a very high level of superstardom. Um, I think it had a detrimental impact on R. Kelly's career, even though after that he still kept making hits. Um, but I think that let's look at had that not happened, you know, had he not had that, you know, grotesque part of his, you know, personality that allowed him to do that. What, you know, what Marrying could have come her or producing her? You know, you said marrying her or seducing her? No, producing her. No, like, producing her is fine. But okay, seducing, yeah, okay. that was the problem. I'm just thinking if you talk about just the whole hookup. No, the, okay. the producers, no, I think, you know, their, that first album, you know, especially back and forth and, yeah. you know, the uh, Isley Brothers uh, remake, I love, you know what I'm saying? I thought it was, it was okay. them together, I thought worked, you know, beautifully. Okay. okay. Um, but if you take that, you know, the the sickness out of that, you know what I'm saying, of what happened and the, the see Woody what, Allen out of it. right, take the Woody Allen out of it, um, the Elvis out of it, you take all that out of that and see what could have happened. The Jerry you know. <laughs> let's, put all the white, let's put all the white folks in there. <laughs> if you take all that out of it, you wow. know, what, what could have happened? You know what I'm saying? What, even if she did go on to work with, you know, Missy and them, which, which I, you know, to me was a great move. She could have came back and worked with, you know, R. Kelly. R. Kelly's career maybe have, would have taken a different route. You know what I'm saying? So, even though, like I said, there's all the evidence in the world, you know, proves that it happened. Um, that's one. Do you I believe wish. it happened? Yeah, I know it, it happened. I just wish it didn't. I, I want to believe it didn't happen, but it happened. You know, I know from people I've talked to. You know, what I'm saying we in Chicago. I know, yeah, we know. really close to the R. Yeah, Kelly so situation. That's so yeah. you know, it happened, but we wish. You know, I wish it didn't happen. You being an R. Kelly fan, but also you've covered and written about R. Kelly to great extent. Did it hurt you when it finally sunk in that it was true? Um, let me see, because. 
that was what what year was that that was 90 i think i think it was 93 93 late 93 or 94 i don't know if hurt is the right word i guess enormous disappointment okay. because i remember the first time i saw them together i think was on uh donnie and uh when donnie and whatchamacallit the show on bet donnie uh, simpson yeah video soul donnie yeah. and my girl sherry yeah i think th- that was the first time i saw them sitting there was on the couch you know sitting together and it just seemed like such a good, you know, match, just a musical thing, you know what I'm saying? So to find out what happened, happened, it was like, you hear the rumors, you're like, ah, nah, that probably, you know, it's just rumors, whatever. When it gets confirmed, it is like, damn, like, dude, for real? I don't know if hurt is the right word, but I would say severely disappointed. Okay. Yeah. Who's up next? Arthur. Uh, okay. That was a good one, Isaac. That was a good one. Really I pulled it out. You, pulled, like, you did. You pulled it right out of the air. Ago. <laughs> pulled it out. My man is clutch. <laughs> Robert Ori. Uh, I think mine is boring in comparison. See, that's what Isaac said. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Who you wish didn't sleep with somebody? <laughs> uh, we, we had actually. I wish Janet Jackson hadn't married Jahan. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we actually touched on this in a, a previous episode, a previous episode where we focused on uh, focused on Michael Jackson, but. Um, I really, really want to believe that there does exist an album, a complete album. With Stevie Wonder. That Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. produced from Michael Jackson. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think that's that like your fantasy. It really is. <laughs> but the, you know, the only evidence that we have that Stevie and Michael worked together was the song Buttercup, a song that Stevie produced for Michael in, in around 1974, around the time of the Philly first finale when Jackson 5 sang Back Up on uh, You Haven't Done Nothing. And I just believe that um, the point where Michael was in his career, uh, both as a, as a teenager, phasing out of the, the, um, the bubblegum type Motown albums that they were doing. Um, and I don't mean to diminish the quality of the production of the corporation, but he's growing out of that image, aging out of that image and aging into what he would become as an artist. Um, the voice was right there. It wasn't, it wasn't a child's voice, but it, it was a teenager's voice. It was an age-appropriate voice. You know, it had, some, had, had, some, it had changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that Stevie, who was in masterpiece mode, I think he understood where Michael's place was. Stevie being a child musician himself, mm-hmm. growing and transitioning, um, in the late 60s and early 70s and defining his own voice I think that that, that may have been an album uh, production and quality wise at masterpiece level similar to how like Dusty in Memphis the Dusty Springfield album that she did in Memphis mm-hmm. um, with, with the stacked session musicians Steve Cropper and uh, I just think it has been magnificent mm-hmm. just ma- absolutely magnificent and untouchable so is is it urban myth or is it just you know it didn't happen? It's 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 urban myth. The, uh, it's have like, you checked all your Japanese sources, brother? <laughs> I've Google translated the message to all four corners of the world. So but the, yeah, what, what did Stevie say though? Did, does he say that it was you know? Actually, Michael said something about it. Right, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Someone on Twitter very kindly sent us a Thriller Era article yeah. where Michael was saying the album is done, Motown are holding on to it, but it was incredible. But he never spoke about it again. What do you believe? I believe that they did an album. So you believe material I, exists? I believe that material exists. Wow. Now, maybe, maybe it's not compiled. 
You know, maybe it's maybe it's like you know, but Tupac's they, they, they third physically went through album. the recording of it. But in I your believe, mind, they went through something. Yeah, I believe I believe that they did. I, maybe on their own time. Maybe right, it wasn't even as a right. You know what I mean? Maybe it wasn't even as a project. Right. You know, and I think I think when we talked about it, uh, you know, on the Michael episode, um, you know, we talked about the idea that if it ever came out, that that would empower Michael to a degree where, mm-hmm. you know, Motown Barry Gordy. Would fundamentally have to let him go, and even Joe Jackson maybe would mm-hmm. see the breakup of the Jackson Five mm-hmm. and and the yeah, independence right, of right. the son. You know, mm-hmm. who was the breadwinner for the family, right. really? Right, you know not about it. But that's mine. That's a great. One. I, I could have guessed that one about you, though. I could have guessed. That. Do we all believe that Stevie Wonder one day recorded "I Can't Help It," like a Stevie Wonder version? Because that's his song, right? I've never heard that, but to be yeah. honest, man, it, if you think about how much time these people spend in the studio, you know, what I'm saying surprise, nothing should surprise. You know, what I'm saying they may have spent, t- yeah. you know, the thirty seconds doing, you know, a Prince song. You know, what I'm saying it's like who yeah, knows yeah, 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 what yeah, we yeah, might yeah. find if we go in their studio, like stuff that they. I mean, think about stuff, scoop. Think about stuff you've written that oh, yeah. you have no idea, you've completely forgot about. Yeah. And somebody goes in your computer's yeah. like, oh, you, mean, oh, I, you know, you I never, just ripped you just on that did for a second. It, you just yeah. never went anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I had read an article. Maybe four months ago, earlier this year, it was about John Lennon, and he had a house in L.A. where he was. It was like during his lost weekend period when he had broken up temporarily with Yoko, and he had a he had a house party. Paul McCartney came through. Stevie came through. Miles Davis came through. Oh shit! And they were just wow. hanging out for like you know, like a weekend. Right. Mm, what could, who knows right? what happened right what who you know what i mean what it's like whatever yeah. what throwaways could have happened like that yeah probably not yeah <laughs> but that's what i'm saying right it could be right it could that's be nothing like right they're just glad to get it just talk. <laughs> right like, look i don't want to talk about nothing no, dealing no, with music <laughs> what time is the game come on right <laughs> so i want to believe that the underground faceless mc your old droog is really Nas. I really, really believe it. So it's not just I want to believe it, I believe it. Ain't no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah, that ain't him. That ain't him. I listened ah, to whatever. it. I listened to whatever. it in headphones. I listened to it in headphones twice. It's not him. Nas, 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 Nas would not destroy the message like that. <laughs> he would make. He would not take that classic song and and destroy. Let him it. hold on. Let him make his point. So, to me, the voice is incredibly similar. Point blank. Even Nas's voice sounds very, very different to Nas's voice on different releases from different eras. The dude rhymes like we all would wish Nas would rhyme nowadays to me certainly he even name checks nas throughout it right he name checks illmatic he name checks nas he name checks sasha jenkins who wrote the liner notes for illmatic 20 right right he was first promoted by mass appeal magazine which after many years was resurrected basically by nas with a cash injection who now serves as associate publisher Mm. And the guy was the guy's clearly in his thirties with the subject matter and references. I find it like really strange. Why would a man in his thirties with that amount of talent and that amount of skill just chill and not do anything and then suddenly come out and do it all? I also remember that Nas in a very, very early interview 
said that he thought that Ghostface Killer was the greatest concept of all time in hip hop and that he was actually very disappointed when Ghostface finally started coming out with his face out in the open, when Ghostface finally stopped wearing the mask. The only evidence that I can see against your old Drew being Nas is that the beats are great. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to me, we've been through it with Shine. You know, everybody thought he was Biggie at first, and then No came out, a, you know, a half a decade ago, and everybody thought he was Jay Z. You know, it's it, sometimes people just sound similar. I just, I, I really don't. I'm with Arthur. I, there's, I'm. <laughs> Arthur said it's not him. Right, that's what I'm with Arthur. <laughs> it's not him. <laughs> but he wants, but Jay wants to believe it. There's a track called Gunsmoke on his EP, right? And some guy online has taken that track and has just pitched it up a little bit. So he's just sped it up fractionally. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's never been hard to pull abroad. It's that dude who had your mother gassed. And I ain't talk about the boulevard. Made it through hell and kept the essence of what I do intact. So the lies I do tell be true in your facts. Know why? Because I know it's all in that. Making like four more albums, then I'm falling back. So then you never see your bros ain't slack. I made a pack with promoters that the show stay packed. Moving merchandise. Y'all quiet as church mice. Get the gas phase like searching Pete Nice. I got a buck like send me your rice. Roll your deuce and give me them dice. Gambling like going up in the smoke without the lambskin. Definite chance that you might get but some cats are so thirsty that that's not a deterrent. They just get turned because they like to say catching the fades with a chick so bad. You say you want to catch the age from her. I laugh at how so many people. When you hear that, it's like, whoa. And you know, Nas has also done this himself, right? With uh, the character of Scarlet on Street's Disciple. Yeah, He's played you know with his what? voice it before. He's Nettie done bars. the Camille before. It was Nettie Bars that did it for me, where I, there was a certain. There was a certain draw in the voice in the delivery and it just manifested a it just manifested a different tone of voice than Nas's voice I mean I get that you can probably simulate that you know in either in you know in pro tools but I don't know the cadence just slipped saying. just yeah, a little bit it just wasn't that it just wasn't that but when has Nas been consistent enough to give you that Nas con- cadence when has Nas even done it like I think what you guys are comparing it to is your favorite Nas tracks I love how he tells us what we think <laughs> that's embedded in your memory as to what Nas is but when has Nas actually remained consistent in flow but that's just it though I mean like I juxtaposed it to God's son I juxtaposed it to um, to Stillmatic I mean you know his later years not like you know it's not like I put this up against Illmatic you you, you mean you really can't but I mean you, the the later Nas stuff you know he, he, he you're, you're right I mean he isn't consistent but he still did the, the, you know MCs have a MCs have a cadence they've got a flow even if even if they have more than one style, you know it's it's still something that they that they refine it to themselves, and I don't think they can escape that. Even if they do try to pull a Camille, and this would be the greatest this would be the greatest Camille ever, ever. Yeah. And that's and that's <laughs> that's basically that's my whole point. The title of our segment here is I want to believe. Yeah. I do believe it, but I really want to. I am desperate to believe that this is Nas because I think it would be so dope for him to show up on September the 3rd at that performance mm-hmm. and just 
or, or, or never, you know, cancel the performance. Now that never would be show great, wouldn't it? That would releasing. be great. Where everybody gets there, the show in New yeah. York, and and somebody comes on and is like, you know what, Drew couldn't make it. And Nas walks out and, everybody, and everybody's <laughs> like, we want Drew. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Jahan, whether somebody shows up as Drew that's not Nas or not, Jahan is going to go to his to his six under believing that this is Nas. Of course. Nas, yeah. Nas can come to person can personally come to Jahan's house I and tell him, yo, bro, that's not me. Jahan's like, you're lying. Yeah. I know. Because this is better than anything Nas is doing. I don't you know what? If Nas tells me, sorry, it's not me, and here's the kid, and it's a 17-year-old, you know, Russian kid from South New York, I'll be like, cool, you're no longer Nas. He's Nas. You can call yourself your old Drew from but now on. To make yourself right, you would just like change reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like the worst villain and the worst superhero. <laughs> okay, mine is, mine is a little bit different. Um, but I, I don't want to use the word controversial. But um, I don't believe 50 Cent got shot nine times. <laughs> <laughs> You win. <laughs> you, you, you win. You win. How to many me, times t- do you think he got shot? Uh, he, like maybe, I don't, maybe three. I, maybe three, but that whole How nine How many t- brothers do you know got shot nine times is walking around? <laughs> you know me. You know the cats. You know the cats I know, so that's a possibility. But, saying, but that's you know like, the cats. That's, but <laughs> I know. I think it was, I think I really do believe he probably did get shot maybe twice. You know, grazed once. Flesh wound through and through. But to me, to me, that's a whole marketing scheme to get him into the game because if you think about it, how much did they play that up when he was coming out? A lot. And they still play it up to this day. A lot. So I'm not, I'm like, you know what? Uh, I want to be in that meeting where they decided the number was nine. Like, right. <laughs> how many times do we want to say? So wait, wait, wait. wait. So I mean, y'all agree with me, right? I'm just the one to say it. Y'all, you know y'all on board with me on this one. You know, real talk, I've always had it, you know, like in the back of my mind, I've had thoughts about that. But I saw recently, um, I forgot what I was reading, where he was talking about it. He said that there's still a, a fragment of a bullet is still in his tongue. Yeah, because he shows he shows his tongue and we went in here and all this and the other. So that lent a little bit more credence to it because that ain't something you're just gonna make up. You know what I'm no, saying? I mean, and you could cover it. I'm gonna say maybe that's where you got shot. I mean, but the whole maybe nine that was the first times shot. thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, and and here's the thing. I think, and maybe to his credit, if they if they did make it up, it's the most brilliant thing in the world because if you look at what this cat has done. And that's the second part. I, the second part to this is, and you know, I don't want to sound like a 50 hater or anything. It's hard to me believe that his initial storyline that brought him into the game, that he got shot nine times, is true. But it's also hard for me to believe that this cat has is as shrewd as a business person that he's become to do the things that he's been able to do. To amass the power that he's been able to create some of the things and be linked to a lot of the things. I mean, if you think... I. I it's hard for me to believe he broke it that vitamin water deal. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to think that he was able to really, really create Why? and orchestrate Why? G-Unit as, as a label and a clothing line. Mm-hmm. You know, Scoop. it's... Why? Why? I, Why? Because he wasn't that successful as a drug dealer, was he? Right. That's my point. That's exactly... <laughs> thank you. You took, you took exactly what I was about to say. When did you dude, become right, a genius? The dude, the dude, like, straight up failed as a damn drug dealer. <laughs> So how you, how you, it's not, but yeah, yeah, but let's be honest. It's not an industry that's very well known for promotional prospects, right? (laughs) (laughs) If you displayed some kind of skill on a block and it was like, then you got into the boardroom and you know, it's like, there'd be some type of bridge. It's like, there's no bridge. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm, he was no string of bell. <laughs> right. It's like he's become this fast. I mean, if you look at the business, hell, look at power. The show he's got, you know, he's the yeah, he's got he got his own film division. Do you know this cat right now is trying to brand platinum? He's buying mines to brand his own platinum. I'm like, it's uh, you know, I'm like, there's a guy behind this dude, like telling him, okay, okay, I can't think that this is Curtis Jackson coming to the coming to the forefront. Like, all right, I got another idea. Let's make this. I just don't so, see that in him. So when Fifty showed up on day one, he said, I got shot twice, and the guy behind him said, Well, from now on, you got shot, shot nine, nine times. times. Right. <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think he got one of these brilliant brothers, you know, as his sidekick that's really this, you know, sitting real, real, real low in the cut. You know, and putting him out on front street like, hey, you the front man on this. <laughs> so there's a 50 cent album called The Massacre, right? I was driving down the street and there's this overhead sort of billboard on the motorway that I was driving on. Motorway is like a freeway over here so i was driving down it and i see this picture this huge 20 foot picture of 50 cent so he's standing there he's got his shirt off like i mean baby oil all over him and you know i'm driving so i just glance at it and i see that image and i see the word the massacre i swore the album was called the massage <laughs> <laughs> and then i saw it online i was like oh it's the massacre <laughs> but I was did impressed you, for that whole tell, drive I was very very impressed did you tell anybody that it was called the massage before you for the next oh, few God. days I was like yeah you know 50 cent is I respect the dude man that's a bold move <laughs> <laughs> This has been episode 29 of the Music Snobs podcast, and we thank you as always for joining us. Find us online at themusicsnobs.com. Our show library streams on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash themusicsnobs. Our Twitter handle is at totalmusicsnobs. Our show notes can be found on Flipboard on your iOS or Android or Windows phone uh, platforms. Our In The Mix series is on Mixcloud.com slash The Music Snobs by Jahan, myself, DJ Ali Al, and we've got one coming up from Mr. Monotone. And what else do we have? Our Facebook, our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com, wait for it, The Music Snobs. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next show.